<clears throat> Am I looking good in the in the recording there? <laughs> Not as short or tall. All right. So if you would flip back to Ephesians 1, uh, 15 through 23, that's where we're going to work through. We're going to continue through um, Ephesians. So uh, it is definitely a joy to be here uh, this morning and to be able to have the opportunity to um, preach from behind this pulpit. Um, it's always a wonderful time to be able to do so. Um, it's been a whirlwind of a week, as some of you guys may have seen on Facebook, our uh, our little Abigail, she uh, injured herself playing basketball, broke her arm pretty badly. Um, so her summer's pretty much shot, so we're praying for a quick, fast, speedy recovery, um, so that way we can go and enjoy the beach in four weeks. So we'll see if that, that happens. Um, but she's a tough little girl. They tried to uh, administer... Um, sleepy, like, I don't know what they call it. They're trying to put her in a twilight sleep, sleep, knock her out. And she just kept waking up, waking up, and waking up. So they admitted her and kept her overnight. And then the uh, anesthesiologist came in and, and gave her the old one-two punch. And she finally was knocked out for the count. So they could finally set the bones and get a cast on there. So, But it started off as a good week as we were brief, as I was briefly at the beach with my family. So... It's been, uh, like I said, it's been a crazy week for us. But let's pray and we'll, uh, we'll get started. <clears throat> oh God, your never failing providence sets in order all things, both in heaven and on earth. Put away from us all hurtful things and give us those things that are profitable for us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit. One God forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> You have to forgive me. My voice is a little scratchy this morning. All right, Ephesians. So this morning, again, we're going to continue through our study um, over Ephesians. Now, again, when Jim had mentioned uh, that we were going to be working through Ephesians, I was um, extremely excited as uh, this is one of my favorite books um, in the Bible, um, one that I do enjoy time reading and, and spending time in studying and whatnot. So um, I, I was, I needless to say, I was absolutely thrilled um, that we were going to be doing this. But not as thrilled as the fact that Jim has already covered most of the legwork, which is the historical background of the book um, and the, uh, to the reasons why the letter was written to the Church of Ephesus, and also going into details about one of the most di- difficult doctrines that we find in Scripture, which is the doctrine of predestination. So thank you, Jim, for taking care of that. Uh, by the way, he is at uh, Hope Church preaching, so um, we uh, wish him well as he is proclaiming the gospel there. So, so today, though, we're going to work through one of the prayers of the Apostle Paul. Uh, that's found in one fifteen through uh, 23. Now, throughout many of Paul's letters to the church, uh, that he had a hand, to the churches he had a hand in starting, he would mention to them that he was praying for them. For instance, you see these same prayers in Romans, 2 Corinthians, um, obviously Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, and 2 Thessalonians. Uh, and he additionally prayed for Timothy uh, in First and 2 Timothy, and we also see these same prayers in Philemon. So Paul obviously was one uh, a man who was one for praying for um, people and those that he had care of. So, But each of uh, Paul's prayers are deeply and richly theological, and deeply compassionate. 
which tells you uh, what type of man that Paul was. In fact, uh, this is the very pattern for those of us and those of uh, people who desire to aspire to the role of pastor or church leader. Uh, the pattern shows us that a rich theology should lead to compassion for the church and for those that are under our spiritual care. Now, <clears throat> again, some of you uh, do know who I am. Um, if you don't, my name is Ryan. I am uh, the outreach pastor here. Uh, but those that do know me know that I attended Bible college uh, immediately after I graduated high school. And of all the memories that I have of Bible college, mostly bad, <clears throat> uh, some were good. There were some good ones. Um, one thing sticks out in my mind. Um, there were uh, times in the morning that I would have pray, uh, prayer. So there was a routine that I would consist of, right? I would wake up, I'd get a shower, I'd get dressed, and I'd pray. So those, those, it, was, it was in that specific order, I think. There might have been times where I drank coffee or slept in. But, but I would tend to pray for those usual things, right? Uh, but one of the things that I do remember praying was this particular passage. I'd pray this passage, uh, this, this prayer that Paul says, over myself, others, such as friends, uh, people that I attended church with back home, um, even even a, a roommate of mine who him and I were pretty pretty close uh, during our time there. Uh, but I would pray I would pray this I would say you know if I was praying over myself I'd say I would I would pray that the Father of Glory would give to me the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, and that the eyes of my heart would be enlightened so that I would know what is the hope to which He had called me, and so on and so forth. I mean that's a novel idea, right? Like, who would have thought praying scripture of yourself or others? But I will say this, and this is something that we also say here when we talk about um, the Book of Common Prayer, is that it gives you words to pray for and to pray for yourself and to pray for others when you don't have those words to pray, when you, when you just have no idea of what you should say or what you should pray for. So, in fact, I, I still even pray this today before I have the opportunity to... Um, Read through the Bible. I just pray that God would open my eyes and my heart to what He has to say. So, <clears throat> so it's something that has still affected me to this day. So in this passage, we're going to see that this pattern of prayer that Paul has prayed takes him from thanksgiving to intercession, then to worship. Paul gives thanks for the saints who are at Ephesus because of two reasons. Their faith and their love for all the saints. So next, Paul, he'll intercede for those that are at Ephesus, praying that God would grant them a spirit of wisdom. And lastly, Paul prays, uh, Paul's prayer, excuse me, leads him to worship and exalt Christ. Now, one of the things that you're going to see within this passage, too, and, and even within the very first um, chapter of this particular book, um, is that it is uh, a deeply Trinitarian. It's it's showing the Trinitarian work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. See, the Father is addressed in intercession, for He is at work on behalf of His people. Christ is the focus of the Father's activity in raising Christ, exalting Him, placing all things under His feet, and appointing Him to be head over everything for the church. And the Spirit is the agent of revelation who interprets God's activity and enables believers to um, appropriate what has been accomplished for them. 
So let's go ahead and break down this passage. And we're going to look uh, briefly at verses 15 through 16, which is just a very brief um, thanksgiving. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Now, in the previous verses, Paul had praised God for blessings which he and his fellow Christians had received. Now, in his thanksgiving, he expresses his gratitude for the divine work in the lives of his readers, the work of Christ in the hearts of the people. Paul is telling the church at Ephesus that he is praying for them. He is interceding on their behalf. In fact, he does assure them of this, right? So listen closely. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Paul means that in his regular, regularly, um, that he regularly, excuse me, gives thanks for the people at Ephesus in his times of prayer. Morning, midday, and evening, and any other time he had prayed. Sounds like Paul might have been Anglican, huh? That's a joke. You can laugh. Thank you. <laughs> now, but this is precisely what a great leader of a church does. Right? He prays for those that are under his spiritual and pastoral care. The very pattern of, of a church leader is Paul, right? So w- this is a beautiful thing to know, that, that a pastor would be praying and interceding on your behalf. This is what Paul is doing, and, and I know for a fact this is what Jim does when, um, for us as well. He prays for us, right? Well, you can ask Becky after, after service, just to, just to confirm. But I, I know he does. <laughs> Next, Paul tells uh, the Ephesians that the reasons that he is praying for them, and those uh, for what those reasons are, they're, they're the faith in the Lord Jesus and their love toward all the saints. Well, these are the very things that we as believers should be known by. Right? Our faith in the Lord and our love towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. So Paul is praying for these believers at Ephesus because of their faith and their love for all the saints. Now, this, this prayer is quite brief. This very beginning part is quite brief because uh, there was no need for him to make any further reference to any kind of missionary terminology or the reader's sealing with the Holy Spirit because Paul had mentioned this in the previous um, section of this chapter. So, uh, and Jim had already has already covered that too. So if you want to hear what Paul was saying and, and, and work through that, I, I suggest going back and listening from the very beginning and working through. That's, that's the best way to, um, when, when you're studying on your own and, and those sorts of things, is to always go back and listen to you know, previous sermons and those sorts of things and, and see how everything is connected. Right? So, so Paul now moves into his um, intercessory prayer. Right? So he, he, we want to look at these real quick. Uh, in 17 through 19, we're going to look at these verses and see what Paul is saying in his prayer for the Ephesians. He says that the, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. Now, there is a lot to unpack from this prayer. 
and we're probably not going to be able to get through um, everything as it would we'd probably be here all night if uh, if we were going to do something like that because it's it's so deep and so rich. So we're going to pick out a few things here and work through those. So these these verses spell out the content of Paul's regular intercession for his readers. His prayer is reflecting back on the very opening of the letter. His prayer is that they they would comprehend what God has already done for them in Christ. That should be our, our prayer as well, is to be able to comprehend what Christ has done for us. He was already he, he he is praying that they um, would remember that he has already blessed them in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And Paul prays now that um, that their eyes would be open so that they will fully grasp the implications of all the privileges that Paul has already mentioned. Paul's petition is directed to the God who has already blessed us in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is a confidence now because. Uh, there is the realization of these blessings in the lives of the Ephesians. This is the same confidence that we now approach God in prayer. We approach Him in confidence through our Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that we uh, that what we ask of Him, if it be according to His will, then it would be granted. Now, a few moments ago, I told you a funny story, not really, about Bible college. <laughs> it was funny to me because you know, there's lots of things that I remember that was bad, but again, things that I remember that was good. And that was that morning routine that I that I had mentioned. Now I, I don't remember having that same confidence that I just spoke of when when praying and when asking God for you know wisdom and those sorts of things. Uh, but as more as I would do it more and more as I would continue that same routine every morning and I would, would study, I would feel that confidence begin to grow. I began to believe that God was truly listening to my request and that He had given to me the spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now, obviously, that's a very small knowledge compared to, uh, compared to most people. So it's still an ever-growing learning of, of who God is, right, and, and of His Word. So one of the things that I want to encourage you to do this morning is that any time that you can pray, the Scriptures do it. Anytime you can throw the scriptures into your prayer life and pray over yourself and pray over, you know, loved ones and your children, do it. So again, praying those, those things gives you words to say when you don't know what to say. And as an 18 year old student, gosh, that's been a long time ago. Uh, as an 18 year old student, I had no idea what to pray and that was certainly helpful. Gosh, 18 to 40. Someone do the math for me real quick. Was that 32 years? No. 22 years? It's a good thing you don't have to do math to uh, preach, right? <laughs> exactly. So as we continue on, let's look at what Paul prays for the Ephesians. First, we see that Paul prays for the spirit of wisdom and of revelation so that they may know him better. Paul prays that God would give the knowledge of himself to his people. Now, there's some debate among commentators whether spirit here refers to the Holy Spirit or the human spirit made wise. But I I tend to believe that it is safe to say that Paul here is referring to the Holy Spirit, which would keep in step with the Trinitarian nature of the very first part of this letter, as we've already briefly discussed. Further evidence of this then comes from the way that Paul is, uh, uh, in Paul's teaching, that wisdom and especially revelation 
are dispensed by the Holy Spirit. So regardless of this, regardless of the debate between commentators, there's no question then that the wisdom and revelation that are, uh, that are uh, God's gifts, right? These, these are God's gifts to us. So Paul's example um, instructs us that the Christian leaders are to pray for God to make himself known to his people. Again, this must be, must be, this must become part of the very ministry for all those in church leadership. We do not rely on our own wisdom, but pray that God would give his wisdom and reveal himself to his people. Next, Paul prays that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. Paul prays in this manner because he recognizes the need of God's sovereign intervention and petitions him to act on behalf of his people by opening the human heart to see divine truths. As a, as a parent, this should be one of our prayers, right? Those of you that are parents. Now, I know that for Sarah and I, when we were new, um, new parents, when, when Nick was born, we felt very overwhelmed and we felt desperate at times. Um, and then when you throw twins on the top of that, and then being so close together, there was nothing but overwhelming feelings and desperation most of the time. <laughs> but, in those times of desperation, in those times of having no earthly idea how to navigate parenting, God in His sovereignty arranged for us to meet with families along the way. And these families helped us to navigate through those desperate times. It was like, um, you know, that was, it was extremely helpful. But it was like going into a, a room in a library that you had no idea existed. And that the right book that gave us the right advice to navigate through those times was there. It was like it was ordained. <clears throat> so, in fact, you'll hear most of both of us, Sarah and I both say that if you are new parents, then you should surround yourself with those parents that have kids that are older than you. Why? Because they've already navigated through those same issues. So find yourself some vet- veteran parents and link up with them and hang out with them. See, Paul knows what the spiritual needs of God's people, uh, that the spiritual needs of God's people are profound. So he prays that the eyes of their hearts may be opened so they can see the world of provision that heaven has made available for their care. It's like that room in the library with the special book that has all the information you need doing something. So Paul here uses the Old Testament language of enlightenment. For the spiritual understanding that comes to the believer's heart because the heart in Jewish thought was the seat of the thoughts and emotions. Paul then uh, specifically describes that the eyes of the Ephesians' hearts would have sight to know as they are open to heaven's provision, hope, inheritance, and power. So let's look at hope. Paul prays that the Ephesians may know the hope to which he has called. We know what hope is. Paul has described the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the preceding passage. He has spelled out our hope. The world is the Lord's and we are his forever. The universe then is not some, uh, is not random. We are never abandoned. Our God is just and gracious, sovereign and saving. This is what the Ephesians hope is. And it is also ours. You recognize the significance of that hope 
when you hear the voices of our world, that they do not have it. Consider this. There's, there's, a, there's a group. I don't necessarily remember them, but it was kind of around the time that I grew up in the 90s. It was pop lyrics from a group named Vertical Horizon. And they speak of what it means to have run out of hope. Their song, it's called Lines Upon Your Face, Laments. It says, Sometimes I wish that we were all immortal, and the game of life always had a happy end. But I know it's not true. How sad. How truly sad. But we know that it's not true, right? We know that it, we know that it is true, sorry. But the truth of the gospel is what is that we are immortal, that our time is eternal, and that for those of us who put our faith in the eternal God who controls this world, there is always a happy end. There is an end, however, of futility, the realization that the world is not senseless, and that your sin is not endless in consequence or compulsion. There is a purpose to the world. There is pardon for sin and power over it provided by God. And God provides each of these. He has called you as a father calls a beloved child out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is the hope that the apostle prays that God's people would see and we should pray for the same. Paul also prays uh, that the Ephesians would know the riches of the spiritual inheritance God provides for his children. Our commentators again debate Lots of lots of commentators like to debate, right? It's like it's like living in the in you know our Christian world. We always like to debate over what things mean. But commentators do debate whether his glorious inheritance in the saints is the inheritance that God provides to his people, or whether his people are being accounted as his inheritance. See, the latter of that is the understanding that God actually considers us his inheritance, his promised blessing to himself. It is glorious to think then that as the Father is said to rejoice over us in other texts. Here also he actually considers us to be uh, the rich inheritance he provides himself. He wills us to himself since we are his treasured possession. So there is a strong uh, exegetical support for this position within the New Testament because it parallels the speaking of an inheritance possessed by God. And there are also many examples of uh, God's inheritance constituting his own people in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms. Now again, some of these commentators interpret Paul to be saying instead that God is providing heaven's riches to us in our spiritual poverty. This would mean that all of the resources of heaven are our inheritance. His mercy, his providence, his provision, his promise, and eternal life. And out and our ours to claim because he is our father further this means that god provides us the treasures of heaven whatever is needed to fulfill his purposes in our lives again the riches of god are ours are they're our sure inheritance as such we can leverage our estate against present trials and challenges knowing that they are not greater than what god will provide for us Now, when we experience trials now, we need not despair because the Spirit gives us eyes to see beyond this world and into heaven itself to know of the provision that is surely ours. Therefore, when when all of this uh, provision is taken into consideration, the message still remains 
that God treasures us. After all, we are recipients of His inheritance. This means that we are God's children. And there is that hope. Now that Paul has given thanks um, for his readers, he's prayed for their spiritual needs and he's shown them the gospel hope of their inheritance. He can't do anything else besides give praise to God for the mighty work that he did through Christ on the cross. So let's continue through verses 20 through 23. Paul says that he, um, to continue on, he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, speaking of God, and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in the age, uh, this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. A side note here, the very first period comes at uh, verse 22. So Paul, with another long run-on sentence, not to critique his grammar, but Paul got so excited, he just kept going on and on and on and on and on. But Paul, Paul can't do anything else but to exalt Christ after giving thanks for the work uh, that he had done in the lives of his readers, that Christ had done. But Paul is so driven to exaltation that he speaks of Christ's immeasurable greatness of his power when he walks us through that prayer. But talking also about the risen Savior in his authority overall. See, this is nothing new here as we read because Paul, throughout all of his writings, always comes back to the authority and the supremacy of Christ and his work upon the cross. That's the very nature of the gospel is knowing what Christ did on the cross for us. So Paul always circles back to this, right? So we should also circle back to this very same principle in our lives as well. The supremacy and authority of Christ. We should be always uh, reminded that Christ, um, who is now risen, is seated at God's right hand. And is, uh, this now places him far above all rule and authority and power and dominions. We have hope in what is above. And we can have hope here in this present moment. And this hope is because Christ is risen and Christ is ascended. So the power that is at work in our behalf is a resurrection power, able to overpower sin and death. For those once dead in sin, new life is possible because of this divine provision maintaining our witness before adversaries and our hope in adversity is not futile or impossible. The power that is now at work on our behalf is also the sovereign power that places our Savior and Advocate above all rulers and forces of this world. To explain this sovereign power, Paul mentions virtually every dimension of authority and strength that we would recognize in this world, from political rule to physical might to spiritual forces in this age and in the age to come. And he simply says that Jesus is greater than them all. There's one takeaway that you can get is that Jesus is greater than them all. He is the head of everything. And this great power that is at work on our behalf, what Christ is doing with this power is obviously it's for the church as we read. And commenting over this passage, John Stott had this to say, 
He says, all of our thinking is unproductive without the spirit of truth. Yet, his enlightenment is not intended to save us the trouble of using our minds. It is precisely as we ponder what God has done in Christ that the Spirit will open our eyes to grasp its implications. And regarding knowledge and faith, John Stott also says this. He says, faith goes beyond reason, but rests on it. Knowledge is the ladder, but which faith climbs higher, the springboard from which it leaps further. See, faith is not some mystical, wishy-washy thing that we, some of us, have misinterpreted throughout our young adult lives. But hear me as, as we close. When we pray, let us pray and ask that God would grant us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. That He would enlighten the eyes of our heart. That we would know what is the hope to which He has called us. That we would know what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. And we would know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe let us be let that be our prayer day in and day out let that be things that we remember when we're praying for those that we love and and for our brothers and sisters in christ and for um, those who are in different countries who are believers let that be our prayer in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit Lord, we thank you for this day and for the time to gather and to worship you freely. I pray that um, as this word was taught, Lord, and as we go through Ephesians, Lord, that you would stir up people to study your word and to know you and to understand you. God, that you would grant to us the same things that Paul prayed for the Ephesians. We pray those things, Lord, in your name. Amen.